Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I want to take a moment and let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. Today, Clyde Glass is teaching and continuing in our series, Finding Complete Joy. And if you're new with us, we have a newcomer's lunch coming up on January 29th, and that's here on site after the 11 a.m. service. It is a great time to not only find out more about the church and meet some of the pastors, but also to eat and to meet some other people that are new to the Southview community. So you can register. The event is free, but just register ahead of time online or on Realm uh, so that we know how much food to prepare. And we also want to update you on our giving challenge from December. We received $551,234.87, and we are incredibly thankful for your generosity through the month of December, even in this time where things are more challenging economically. So thank you. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, and you can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we would love to hear from you. And you can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. And additionally, you can always find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant. Because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Hello, friends. It's so glad we can be gathered here together and online as we come together to the Word of God and let it lead us to the meal of communion. And today we're continuing in our teaching series that we've called Finding Complete Joy, in which we are looking at the writings of the Apostle John in his letter of 1 John that was written for the purpose, for one, of helping us find and experience authentic joy in our lives. Now, we even looked at last weekend the reality that John was writing this letter to exhort a group of Christ followers who were confused in their day by false teaching that was around. And so he was guiding them to hear from him again of the one whom he had seen, whom he'd heard, who he'd touched with his hands, and wanted them to rest in the reality of who Jesus is as well. And and last weekend, as we began our study, we noted that this letter, or written sermon of John, really had three prominent themes that are woven throughout it. That God is light, God is love, and God is life. And in the passage of 1 John we're in this week, John leads us to look a bit deeper at that first theme, that our God is light. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 John. And this passage is so rich with teachings for us that this week is going to be part one in this passage, and next weekend will be part two when we come together. So we're in 1 John chapter 1, and as we come to this, remember, friends, this is a word of God. And prompted by the Holy Spirit, John writes, beginning in verse 4, 
We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is a message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, and fellowship, as we saw last weekend, actually means to partner with, to participate with. So verse 6, so if we say we have fellowship with him, if we say we're partnering with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Now, it's kind of interesting that John's thrust here, it is really very similar to what he wrote earlier in his gospel, because this is what John wrote in the gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And it's not just John who stressed this, really, imagery and reality. Because the Apostle Paul, writing to followers of Jesus and and fervently trying to remind them of their new identity in Jesus, he writes this in 1 Thessalonians 5.5. For you are all, all of you followers of Jesus, you are all children of light. You are children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So we ask the question, okay, so why was this such a vital point of emphasis for these writers of the New Testament? That God is light. Well, let's put it this way. I mean, when a friend or family member seems kind of oblivious to what's going on around them, I mean, we might joke with them that they're kind of living in their own private world. You know, like, hello, Earth to Bob, that kind of idea. Which can be funny because everyone can acknowledge what's going on. But apart from that kind of situation, people's inability or unwillingness to face reality isn't funny at all. Really, at best, it can become irritating, but often quite damaging, even hurtful. And and John here, back in 1 John, addresses our tendency to live in our own little private worlds. Let me give you an example. I mean, if you're a controlling person, if you're angry or selfish or an arrogant person, but you are living in the dark about that, meaning you really don't see yourself as controlling or angry or selfish or arrogant, then you really have little understanding of how your anger, selfishness, or desire to control wounds and damages the people around you. You likely have little idea how it affects the people you work with, the people you live with. And and so when they come to you and to provide for you kind of a mirror and, and share with you how your arrogance or anger or whatever is wounding them and others, 
you respond, at least internally, kind of with all the reasons why it's acceptable, why you can justify it. And you actually believe that they're the problem. It's not your problem, it's them. And you know why? Because you are absolutely in the dark about what's real about you. You have no clue. You don't. Now, at the extreme, people's inability or unwillingness to walk in the light of what is real about them, that's called insanity. At its extreme, it's mental illness, where we get detached from what reality is, extreme neurosis, maybe psychosis even, where for a variety of reasons, people live in a reality that's not based on what's true or what's real. They essentially live in kind of a fantasy world. And, and so distorted is it for some, so separated is it from what is real for some, that for their own protection, or at times even for the protection of others, they need to be hospitalized because of it. Okay, now with all of that established, if given the choice, if you had the time to think about what you wanted, do I want to live in the dark or do I want to live in light? Do I want to live in reality or do I want to live in illusion? I'm pretty confident that every person in this room and online would say, well, I want to live in light. Of course I want to live connected to reality. Of course I do. I mean, who wants to live in blindness or, or in the darkness? I mean, who wants that in their life? Okay, so if that's true, if that really is your desire, if it really is your choice to live in the light of what is real, then I have some very, very good news for you. And the good news is this, 1 John 1, 5. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. There is no illusion. There's no pretense, no trickery or falsehood, no games with God. Let me say it this way. God is going to tell it to you straight. Why? Because there's no falsehood or deception in him. Now, the thing is, kind of generally, we admire people who tell it straight, don't we? Kind of generally? At least we say we do. Because if you have someone in your life who loves you and tells it to you straight, that is a good friend. Because someone who loves you and speaks straight to you, that. That's safe, that's secure. You, you know where you stand with them. But really, you take either of those two elements away, though, and you really have trouble. Because someone who loves you but won't speak the truth to you either doesn't love you very much or possibly they're scared of you. Because if they love you and they see you in danger, they would tell you the truth. But on the other hand, if they don't love you or care about you, but they are committed to telling you the truth, at least as they see it, they're often telling you the truth because either they want to control you or maybe they want to hurt you or maybe they want to feel superior to you. But God is going to speak the truth to you. He's going to tell it to you straight in love. He is the best friend you'll ever have. 
That's why James put it this way. This is in James chapter 1, verse 17, which says this. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. With him there is no variation, no shadow. Think of what those words mean. I mean, variation... It kind of makes me nervous because it moves, it shifts. Maybe some of you grew up in families or maybe you're even in families that are characterized by variation. I mean, by that I mean it's kind of like it's this way one day and it's that way the next day. I mean, I don't know where to stand. I don't know what's safe. I mean, it's like the rules just keep on changing. And if you grew up in a home like that or you're living in a home like that, it really is, it's a horrible way to live. Just constant variation. But shadows also make me nervous. Because shadows deceive. I, I'm really never quite sure what I'm seeing. I'm never quite sure what's real, what's safe. But the good news of God is that there are no shadows in him. No variations, no pretense or falsehood. You know why? Because our God is light. So if that's the case, let's just consider what light does, okay? In fact, let's just consider one element about what light does. Because I think we could say that what light primarily does is it reveals. I think light primarily, it exposes the truth of what is real. It reveals kind of, you could say, the truth of what's hidden in the shadows, now, sometimes what light reveals as it comes and kind of pushes the darkness and shadows away is that sometimes what the light reveals is magnificent, right? Sometimes it's beautiful. Like when I drive to work here in the early morning and the, the sun is just kind of rising to the east, I, I look to the west and the snow-capped mountains, they have this just gorgeous early morning glow of light on them. For a Midwestern kid, it's just stunning. So one thing about living in the light is that it's going to help you see what's good and, and right and pure and healthy. And, and the value of that is that when I could see what is good and healthy and right, then I can choose it, right? But another thing that light does, however, and this is the part of light that we're all familiar with, and, and really, it's the emphasis of the text here in 1 John, as he talks about sin and confession, is this. Light also reveals what's wrong, what's damaging, what's ugly, or maybe what's dangerous. And while admittedly, this aspect of light's purpose, it's not as pleasant compared to seeing beautiful things revealed, but it is every bit as helpful. Because when light reveals dangerous things, that, that means I can then avoid them, right? I, I can turn from them. When light reveals beautiful things, I can choose them. When light reveals dangerous things, I can avoid them. So really, light is just a great gift to us, isn't it? I mean, for lack of light, we fall off cliffs. For lack of light, we step in holes. We walk into traps that we never would have walked into if we had light. 
So if light never comes, or if the light comes and I really never open my eyes to it, we might step in that same hole, we might step off that same cliff over and over and over again. But the God who is light, he will shine light on those dangerous places. He'll tell the truth about wrong directions. He'll, he'll show where the snakes and the turns in the road are. So through his guiding word, we can then avoid just significant amounts of pain and destruction. And, and that's why the psalmist put it this way in a word of praise in Psalm 119, verse 105. He said, your word is what? It's a, this is a lamp to my feet. It is a light to my path so I can see. And if we choose to believe that this light is telling us the truth, and we then walk in the light of that truth, God will lead us to places. He will lead us in directions where we then can live abundantly, joyfully, even when we're in challenging times. So I, I think the bottom line of what light does is this. It helps me see things as they truly are. A number of years ago, a friend from our church who's an airline pilot, he invited my son Taylor and me to go flying with him in, in what was a little four-seat Cessna, I think it was, it, as he just was going for a just casual fly around Calgary. And, and it was a beautiful, clear day and just these stunning views of Calgary from the plane. And after we'd been flying for a bit, our friend turned to me and said, you want to take the controls? To which from the back seat, Taylor shouted, no, he does not. <laughs> but I did anyway, so, because I had a yoke or a steering wheel in front of my seat also, and our friend could keep me from getting things too messed up. So really kind of following his instructions, I, I kept my eye on the horizon and, and tried to keep the plane level. But it was so odd because even though I could see the horizon, when I felt like I was flying level, I was actually descending. And so he just kept gently reminding me, just bring the nose up a bit. Just bring it up. Because left to myself, left to my senses, I was driving the plane towards the ground. And the ground would win that collision. Now, again, that was happening on a clear day when I could see perfectly. So it was really kind of easy to imagine flying in the dark or flying in cloud cover or fog and then just completely losing perspective and orientation. I mean, I imagine you've likely heard the stories of inexperienced pilots who, who got disoriented and literally flew their planes right into the ground or into the sea. Which, which is why, as our friend said, pilots have it drilled into them to trust what the instrument panel readings are telling them. Because the only thing that saves you and the thing which you are entrusting your life to are those instrument readings right in front of you there. So you really have to choose, and they are trained to choose, to believe what that information panel is telling you instead of what all your senses might be telling you. 
And here's the deal with that. I think an awful lot of us are flying towards the ground and we don't even know it. Because I think an awful lot of us, are, we're entrusting our lives to information and guidance that's false. I- information about how we should do life. How we can live life to the full. I, I really want us to think a bit about how we and really where we seek what we think is the best information available on how we handle our finances. Maybe how we understand sex, how we walk in marriage. How we find true hope and meaning. And I want you to know, I'm speaking here to followers of Jesus. Because John's letter was written to followers of Jesus. I mean, where do you go to get the most reliable and accurate information on how to do all that stuff? And this isn't a shame thing. And it's it really simply because of the culture we live in. I think most of the information, certainly the most prominent information we follow on how we walk in our marriages or how we handle or view our finances, how we walk in relationships, on what priorities in life should be. I think, from large part, that comes from our culture. Because we are inundated with information and counsel, be it from podcasts or influencers, celebrities, blogs, experts. And without question, They aren't all bad, without question. But what level of influence do they have on how you view and live life? I'd encourage, really, each of us to reflect on that. Who would you say you pay the most attention to? Who's given you the information? Whose guidance do you rely on to guide you in how you do life? Because again... My concern is that many of us could be flying into the ground and we don't even know it. And and this is precisely where the light can become a problem for us, really. Because if we are, maybe you aren't, but if we are in any of our life kind of speeding towards the ground, the light that God is, when it comes to you, it's going to tell you that. It's going to say, lovingly, maybe not necessarily gently, hey, you are heading towards the ground. And if you keep on that same path, the ground is going to win that one. But here's the reality for me. I mean, if if there are areas in my life when when I'm essentially flying towards the ground and, and God's word prompts me, that I'm heading down in that area of my life? I don't necessarily like hearing that. Really, I I felt just fine about my life, felt fine about my marriage, my finances, or my relationships, or whatever area it might be. Really, until that light went on, I felt fine about all that. So the problem is the light. That's the problem. So what do you do? You turn off the light. Situation solved. So now we have a tension with the light. Because the very thing I love about the light is what I don't like about the light. I mean, I love that the light reveals what is true, what is good, so I can choose it. It reveals what is dangerous, so I can avoid it. 
But what I don't like about the like it, is that it reveals what's true about me. And when what's true about me is being revealed, especially what's being revealed is that I'm prideful or angry or controlling or selfish, I, I feel a pull to kind of shut out the light so I can kind of just hide those things. Or I feel drawn to kind of just conceal those things. Which means I'll hide what's real about me so that then I'll be safe. No, you won't. You know, a scary thing is this. Sometimes even God's people learn to live in the dark. Sometimes they do. And one of the tools we can use to hide in the dark can be kind of religious God talk. You know what I mean? To, to cover what really is kind of truly going on in our hearts. Because I think the reality can be that in the church we can learn how to act and speak spiritual. Right? And, and part of the draw of that can be that it might be we don't feel safe to be real in the church. So this place where Jesus invites us and calls us to be true and real with one another, oddly, just tragically, becomes the place where we most try to hide. Where we focus most on appearance. So I want to invite you, friends. I want to invite us all to come into the light. To come out of hiding. I am inviting you into Christ's kingdom, is what I'm inviting you to. And, and let's remember this as we're considering this topic. We came by all this honestly, believe it or not. Really, it all began in Genesis. The opening chapters of the book of Genesis. When Adam and Eve, when humanity sinned against God. And, and when they did, they had two choices. One, they could go to God with it. They could confess it. They could bring it into light where it could be healed. Or, second, they could cover it. They could hide. So what'd they do? They chose option two. They hid, or at least tried to hide from God. And, and we've then been covering, we've been hiding ever since. This is what John says in his gospel, in chapter three, in verse 19. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Now, you flip that around, and you might hear it more clearly. Because our works are evil, we love darkness rather than the light. In other words, the reason I love the dark is because it lets me hide my evil works and deeds. It lets me really hide who I truly am. But, but let's be aware. Here's the spiritual reality. If you live in the dark long enough, you'll get used to the dark. You will. So that not only is your sin going to be hid from others, eventually your sin will be hidden from you. Eventually you'll become numb to where we're defying God. 
And we will then justify or excuse or even view as inconsequential what previously we knew was against God's will for us. And I can tell you, I have seen this often pastorally in walking with others. Perhaps you have as well. When a follower of Christ kind of steps over the line and moves into a pattern of sin, it's like something begins to shift. And really, what they used to view as clearly being against God's will, they now truly feel they can kind of justify. Until eventually, they believe that the sin they're part of is good, maybe even honorable. And it's because they have traded the light for the darkness. And when we do that, we then move towards what John describes back in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. He writes this. If we say we have no sin, we don't deceive God. Who do we deceive? Ourselves. You won't even see it anymore. That's the scary part. One of the scary parts. And friends, I want to take an extended time on this today. So for one, we can see that the references to darkness in these verses in 1 John, they're really not so much speaking about the evil deeds directly. But really are, in fact, they're references to hiding evil deeds, to covering, concealing, denying them. In, in other words, when we read in verse 6 here of people who walk in darkness, that's not just speaking of people who are walking in sin. The darkness here in 1 John, at least, it's not just the sin, even though the sin certainly is dark. The darkness here, it is the hiding, it's the concealing, it's the shifting, it's the blaming, it's the justifying of our sin. So how do we know when somebody's walking with God? Well, they never sin. No, no you'll probably still sin. I mean, John says he's writing this letter to help keep us from sinning. But in this life, we will at times still fail. We will at times still fall. So, so rather, we know someone is walking with God and really partnering with the Father if when the light of God's word or God's Holy Spirit shines on the reality of their arrogance or maybe pride or selfishness, greed or envy or evil deeds, they then respond not by trying to cover it or excuse it, but instead they acknowledge it, they confess it. Which is why John says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, if we confess even our desire to hide, and, and to confess simply means to agree with God. So God's light goes on in my life, and I see my greed, I see my pride, maybe my spite, but instead of covering it, which is really what I'm pulled to do, but instead, I agree with God. Oh, Father, I agree with you that this is wrong, and, and it's in me. Would you forgive me? Would you heal me? Would you cleanse me? And when you agree with God about what he reveals, now you are partnering with, participating with, you are fellowshipping with him. Because walking in the light, it doesn't mean we never sin. But it means that when we do, we allow it to be seen for what it is. And we don't try to call it something else. And we then just confess it, bring it out in the light with God. 
So here again, beloved, God's word. 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, if we agree with God about what he's put his light on, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God. Now, we're going to look at this again more next weekend. But because this is true, friends, you don't have to hide anymore. Because in his light, in his light, is cleansing, there's healing, forgiveness, and grace. So let me invite you. Walk in his light. Walk in his light. And one of the ways we can express that is the very tangible way he gave for us to express our desire to come to him. He gave us, and he gives us, this meal. He gives us the bread that we break together, as Jesus did at that last supper. He gives us the cup that we lift to remind us of what he's done. And we collectively, we pray to God, our Father, who is light. Oh, Father, would you strengthen us with this meal? Would you feed us, we pray? Would you lead us, even in this, to your Son? We ask you would bless this in his name. And all God's people say, amen. So let's come to him in this meal. If you would take the cup you received when you came in, just pull back that top layer to pull out the bread. I have good news. Our God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, no variations, no shadows. So in him you can receive hope because the body of Christ was broken for you. I invite you, take and receive from him. And then with the cup, I invite you to drink of the light of his goodness expressed in this simple cup because Jesus, the light of the world, is here with us. He's within you by faith, within you by his spirit. And we walk in the hope that his blood was poured off for us, received from him. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we acknowledge the reality that we are pulled in so many directions in our day. There are so many voices promising us wisdom, guidance, the right path. Oh, Father, in the midst of all that, we pray we would hear your voice from your word, from your spirit, and, and that even this week you would guide us in walking in the light of your goodness. And Father, as you reveal things to us, I pray you'd give us the courage and boldness to bring it out of hiding, to uncover it and rest in your healing strength. This we pray because you are our God and we pray to you in your son's name, in the name of Jesus. And again, all God's people say, amen, amen. We stand with me, friends. And again, so glad you could be here this weekend. I encourage you 
to come back next week for, for part two of this message. Don't miss this. Our service is going to look a bit different next weekend. I encourage you to be here on time as we move into it. And I remind you as well, our gathering isn't over. This is now a time we get to fellowship with one another. I hope we can hang around. And if you are a newcomer, I invite you to go to the Newcomer Center just to the right as you go out the door. Or please come up and say hello to me. I would love to meet you. Glad you're here. And now as you walk into this week, whatever this week is going to hold for you, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more beyond all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's walk in that grace. Amen.